Welcome to the Jungets Games Podcast, where in today's episode, you'll be hearing the audio from the Games Radar vlog that I put out in December of 2020. Now, in that vlog, I discussed 31 new games and expansions that I have learned about, and these uh, trickled in over the course of several months. I know it's been a little while since I've done one of these. Now, there is a list of all of the games and expansions I'll be discussing that you can find in the description of this podcast. At this point, I would like to mention that the only reason this podcast is being made is because of the direct support coming in through the Patreon campaign for the channel. Now, you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Games, and I do hope that you would consider directly supporting the channel if you enjoy listening to my vlogs and podcast form like this. The final thing I'd like to ask is that if you have any questions or comments about anything I say today, that you leave those as a comment on the YouTube page for the vlog, and you can find a link to that in the description of this podcast. All right, let's now start talking about these games, and the first one is IA. Now, this is a 2021 release, which I guess uh, comes without saying. These are all new games, and 2020 is almost over. Now, this caught my eye because it says a Mancala building game set in an astonishing Afro-futuristic universe. Uh, now, down below, it says that this is a strategic and competitive game where players focus on building their personal Mancala, and then they have cards on top of piles, and they move energy disks of the sun and the moon, um, I don't really understand how the rest of it works, and right now they don't actually have any images of what the game looks like to play, but the idea of building a Mancala thing in front of you and then running that sounds pretty cool. I don't think I've played anything quite like that before, and that is enough for me to be uh, interested in learning more about this one. It does say under mechanisms, it has uh, deck building, I guess, and pool building, which in this case, I guess, is the Mancala, and also set collection. So yeah, this one looks pretty neat. Uh, moving on, we have Burn Cycle. Now, this is the newest game from Chip Theory Games. I do believe they had a Kickstarter for this one that is either ongoing or is done, but either way, um, these are the people who put out Cloudspire as well as Too Many Bones. Uh, now, I have done a video for Cloudspire, and I thought it was uh, pretty cool in concept, although not really for me. This one looks pretty cool, though. I think this one might be more uh, down my alley. This one is uh, fully cooperative, and you all play as um, robots that are trying to essentially take down the human corporations that have, like, they're stealing parts of your artificial intelligence, I think. And mechanically, it seems like you are going to be uh, set up with a puzzle, essentially, that you have to figure out uh, on every one of your turns. I don't fully understand how this works, but uh, apparently in each round, a series of things are going to happen or be put into a row, and then you have to work your way through those to actually um, get to the thing that you actually want to do. And again, I'm not sure about all these specifics, but I like the idea of a puzzly uh, cooperative experience trying to deal with, you know, a random set of things and then try to do the right things that you want to do. In this case, you know, running around and uh, trying to infiltrate several different floors, and then you get to a boss at the end. Um, I don't know much more than that, but it certainly sounds intriguing, and I'd like to learn more about it. Moving on, we have Darwin's Journey. <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I learned about this one about six weeks ago, and since then, um, I now know a lot about it. Uh, the, I actually reached out to the publisher when I first heard about this, and I said, this looks really cool. This is Thundergriff Games. Um, I'd love to cover it with a tutorial, and they said, that sounds great. Also, would you like to write the rulebook for us? So I ended up writing the rulebook for Darwin's Journey, so I know essentially everything about it, but I didn't, uh, you know, just uh, two months ago or so. Uh, this is a new game from designers Simone Luciani and Nestor Magon, and um, this is... 
it's kind of similar to their other games, uh, like uh, Newton and uh, other games like that, but it definitely has its own stuff going on. Uh, I suppose I should show some of the, the photos. Um, there are a lot of photos of this one online. There's a really good tabletop simulator uh, mod for this one. Uh, essentially, you are just following in Darwin's um, footsteps, or I guess Darwin's remembering all the stuff that happened, and you are doing this competitive experience where you are essentially trying to be scientists uh, on the Galapagos Islands, trying to research various species, and you are trying to... Um, just uh, put things in the museum and, and get a bunch of points for doing a lot of things. The real reason that I think this game is exciting, I haven't played it entirely, even though I read the rulebook, um, it's exciting because it's definitely heavy, but it only has one resource, and that's money. So it's not one of those games with, like, five resources that you have to juggle back and forth. Um, you just have to deal with money, and then it has lots of combo uh, action chains where you do this thing, which lets you do this thing, which lets you do that thing. And I like doing those things in general. So uh, I'm looking forward to actually playing a full game of this, which does sound funny. I've played uh, two-fifths of a game, uh, which was enough for them to teach me the game so that I could actually write the rulebook. But um, either way, <laughs> uh, this one uh, looks pretty cool. And I did just learn about it a couple of months ago. Uh, moving on, we now have Dinner in Paris. Uh, this one says you're going to build terraces, win majorities, and compete, uh, complete objectives to be the best restaurant owner. Uh, now, this one jumped out to me for um, realistically um, aesthetic reasons. Uh, the cover of the game is bright and vibrant, which, which I really like. But then also, when I saw an image of what the game looks like to play, um, I just found it very captivating. Uh, it's a square grid and around the outside of the grid, players can essentially buy up storefronts for their cafes, and then you are going to essentially do a bit of area control as you build out terraces into this uh, courtyard space. Uh, now, I've actually been to Paris many times. I have Fran uh, family who lives in France, so I've probably been to Paris like six times or so, and I have oftentimes at, at eaten in the middle of a, a courtyard terrace like this, where it's true, like you're, you're sitting there eating right here and right next to you is people eating from the other spot uh, where they got their food, but it was way on the side. It just, it seems like this game is actually bringing in a feeling that I have actually experienced of, um, you know, this area in the middle. And it's probably pretty abstract overall, but um, I thought that looked uh, neat enough for me to want to uh, pay a little bit more attention to it. It says, uh, essentially, it's a tile placement game, 40 to 60 minutes for two to four players. That all sounds cool. So uh, this is one that I am uh, looking forward to learning more about. It just seems like the kind of thing that I'd like to play. Uh, we can move on to Eight Gods. Uh, this is a deck of cards from the Sleeping Gods world with a two to six player game and solitaire. Um, now, this is coming from Red Raven Games, um, and all of their games have art done by Ryan Luckett. Um, they have, um, I'm not even going to try to uh, rattle off all the names of those games, but Sleeping Gods is one of the games uh, that was uh, published by this publisher. And so this is effectively a small card game set in that overall thematic universe. And it says it's a 10 to 40 minute game for one to six players, which generally isn't enough to really pull me in, but when I look down at the description, it says, let's see here, uh, in more detail, eight gods can be played uh, two to six players in about 20 minutes. Each round, players are dealt six cards, then they give two cards away and play their hand and then score their hand. Scoring also happens, uh, blah, 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 uh, but the part that I want to talk about, there it is. Uh, the game has a variable ending once enough gods are asleep, and it is a morphed form of cribbage that very loosely tells the story of putting the gods to sleep. Uh, the morphed form of cribbage is really the main reason why this one stuck out to me. Um, I've played cribbage a bunch. It's been a few years, but I, I have a lot of fond memories of playing cribbage, so the idea of playing a morphed form of cribbage, that, that seems alluring to me. Uh, so this is one I certainly would not mind trying out. Next up, we have Fjords. Uh, now, this is actually a re-implementation of a older game called Fjords. Uh, that one was from 2005, so quite a while ago. 
Now, in uh, this one, uh, the 2021 version, uh, this is a two to four player game. Uh, the original Fjords was two player only. And I do believe I've played Fjords a very long time ago, like 10 or so years ago. Now, the cool thing about this game is that it's essentially a two-phase game where players are going to be laying out these tiles in the first half of the game, and in the second half of the game, you essentially t uh, claim those tiles, so you want to be smart about how you put your tiles out to build these fjords. And right now, they don't actually have any images on this new page, but the reason I'm, I'm talking about this is because this is now a multiplayer experience. It's not just two players. And down below, it says with the new addition, uh, in addition to playing up to four players, the game contains five new variants and modules designed by Phil Walker Harding um, that add optional variety and flavor to the game. Uh, this all sounds great. You know, I, again, it seems like my kind of game. I do believe I played it, but it's possible I haven't. It was so long ago. But um, a tie lane game, having these alternating, well, I guess not alternating phases, but two phases overall, Seems neat. I've enjoyed games like that in the past, like Blue Lagoon. Um, that's a game with two phases of the game, where once you finish the first phase, the second phase is different. Um, it, I think in Fjords, the second phase is significantly different, as opposed to being slightly different in Blue Lagoon. But either way, this looks like uh, something that I definitely like to give a try to. Uh, moving on, we have Glow. This one says you're going to build your company by recruiting new traveling companions and you're going to combine their power. Um, now, this one first jumped out to me because of the art aesthetic. Um, <laughs> it's called Glow, but the front cover is uh, black and white, which is, you know, a little bit unusual overall. Uh, now, the uh, actual color on the components of OneNot is quite vibrant. The uh, dice are super colorful overall, um, but even though the cards themselves are, are largely black and white, but but I really like the, the, the line-drawing aesthetic that are on all of these cards. Now, as far as what's going on with the game... It says, uh, you are an adventurer who's building your company and recruiting new traveling companions each turn, and you're trying to combine their powers as best as you can. You're going to roll your dice to activate the advantages from your companions uh, or their disadvantages, and you're trying to gather up slivers of light to dispel the darkness. Uh, so it's a card drafting, dice rolling, combination style game that plays in, well, <laughs> there is no listed playtime right now, but... Uh, I get the feeling it would probably be something like a 60-minute game, although I could be off on that. So um, I like card drafting, I like dice rolling, and I like combo-y type experiences, and I like the aesthetic of this game. So this is one I would certainly be interested in giving a shot to try. Uh, moving on, we have Guzzle. Uh, this one is a frantic race to put together a perfect octopus. Uh, now, this is a children's game, and I, I usually don't talk about those, but something about this one just caught my eye. Uh, in this game, you are uh, trying to essentially build out an octopus with all these square tiles, and uh, you have these uh, tentacles. You're trying to essentially complete all eight of the tentacles, and there are lots of different ways that you can actually go about completing it. And uh, that's really all I know about it. Uh, this is not the kind of game I would get to play with gamer friends, but it's the kind of game that I would potentially really enjoy playing with children, you know, with nieces and nephews and friends, kids and that kind of stuff. It just, it's got a really nice um, uh, aesthetic to it. I like the art overall and it seems very simple. Like you're just playing out these pieces, which each have, you know, little puzzly type of indents as you're trying to finalize all of these uh, tentacles. It just seems neat. And I wanted to highlight that one. Uh, moving on, we have actually the other uh, children's game on the list. I think I'm only talking about these two, but they happen to be next to each other in alphabetical order. This one is Hammer Time, and it says miners are strategically hitting the gemstones off the top of the box to complete their wagon cards. Uh, now, this is coming out from Haba Games, and it just looks like silly fun. It's called Hammer Time, and you are literally hitting a box 
with a hammer. <laughs> the game comes with a hammer. You flip the, the box um, bottom over and you put a neoprene pad on it. You scatter a bunch of crystals on it and then you hit the box and try to knock off uh, various gems. Um, I don't know how that scoring works. I imagine it's relatively simple overall, but from a toy factor, um, I bet this one's fun to play. And once again, I think this would be a blast to play with, you know, nieces, nephews, and friends, kids, and that kind of thing, uh, as you're trying to like gently tap and have the right gems fall off. But I'm sure you oftentimes have the wrong gems fall off, which is probably a bad thing. Uh, so yeah, Hammer Time looked pretty cute. Uh, moving on, we have Inkling. Uh, this is a new game coming out from Osprey Games. And this is a party game and a word game. Usually two things that actually do not put a game onto my list. I'm not super crazy about either of those two things. In particular, I'm not a big fan of word games, but something about this one called out to me. Uh, it's a three to six player game, 20 minutes, and it says down here that Inkling is a word game uh, with an innovative twist. Each turn, you play your letter cards in front of you, hoping that the player next to you will glean the words you're trying to convey, but without the perfect letters, you will need to get creative. Um, how you do this is up to you. You can rotate the cards, play them upside down or on their side. You can have them overlap in one way or another, and you're just trying to do everything you can to get the meaning across. So it seems like it's almost a, co a combination of an image game like Imagine, where you're putting uh, transparent cards on top of each other, trying to build out a tableau so that people can figure out what you're talking about, and a word game, because the actual cards that you're playing, I guess, have letters on them. It doesn't have any images of what the cards look like, but this feels like the kind of word game that I could actually get behind. It sounds like it could be quite a bit of fun. It seems like it's cooperative, although I'm not sure if it's explicit that it is. Um, but yeah, it, it just seems seems neat. You know, is, is that a, a an N or a Z on its side? Is it a, a circle or is it a Q or is it, you know, maybe a G or something like that? This could be the kind of game that I'm awful at. This could be the kind of game I don't actually like at all. But something about uh, what I've read on here was enough for me to be intrigued. I certainly want to see what the components look like for this one. All right, next up we have Coco Pele. Uh, this says you're going to play cards to utilize the abilities of a unique set of ceremonies. And the main reason this one jumped out to me is because it's designed by Stefan Feld, who has designed a lot of games in the past. Um, Stefan Feld isn't my favorite designer, but he's far from my least favorite. I, I in general, enjoy his games. And um, this one has a really neat uh, premise. Um, it's effectively a card game. You just have a deck of cards, and the cards in that deck are going to vary from game to game. And you are just trying to play your cards out to make little sets in order to score points, but in order to score a set, you have to put four cards down on it of the same type. But before you score that set, you get an ongoing power, which sounds pretty neat. That means when you complete the set, you actually lose the power, but you're going to get victory points and you want to get victory points in this game. So it almost has a La Isla vibe to it, which is another uh, Steffenfeld game uh, that I've uh, really quite enjoyed in the past, where it's all about having an alternating set of special powers that are fluctuating as the game goes on, and you can actually play cards on some of your neighbor's spots to try and complete their ceremonies, which means um, if you complete it, you get points, and they get one point as well because you're completing theirs, but if you complete it, you also remove that special ability from them maybe right before they were about to do something cool with it. So this seems like a game that can have a lot of combo potential, and I imagine it's not terribly long. Uh, BGG says 40 to 60 minutes for two to four players. So this sounds right down my alley, and it's definitely the kind of game I'd like to give a shot to. 
Uh, moving on, we have Luna Capital. Uh, this one says you want to build the best settlement in the moon and become the moon's capital. Uh, now, the main reason I'm paying attention to this one is because of the publisher. It's Devere Games, and they tend to make very good-looking games um, that are oftentimes also very good games. Uh, so that is certainly enough for me to pay attention. Uh, there are currently no images on BGG at all, um, and it says under mechanisms, it's got card drafting and tile placement. Two things I really like. <laughs> I really enjoy doing both of those things. Uh, now, in the description of the game, it says, In Luna Capital, the players must optionally, or optimally manage the elements uh, of the game to build the best possible lunar settlement and make it worthy of becoming the capital of the colony. Uh, you're going to have a series of construction cards in a market, and each of the players are actually tied to a number of these project tiles, and players are going to be drawing these cards and putting these tiles out in front of them. Um, you're going to be laying things out in ascending numerical order and a whole bunch of things that don't make any sense if there are no images. But... Again, uh, just knowing that it's got card drafting, tile placement on the moon from Devere Games is enough for me to be quite interested, certainly in subscribing to this one so that I can uh, see some of those images and see uh, what this game is actually like. It says it's one to four players in 45 minutes, so not terribly heavy overall. It seems like it could be a good time. All right, next up we have Nidavellir Thingavellir. <laughs> now, this is an expansion to Nidavellir, uh, and that's a game I really quite like. Uh, I have done a tutorial for it, so if you're interested in learning more about it, you can definitely search uh, my YouTube page and find that one. And it says down here that um, it's an expansion, and thematically, you're now, the queen is now trying to go out and find mercenaries, but realistically, Nidavellir is a set collection game with cards where you get a bunch of points in a bunch of different ways for getting all these dwarf cards in front of you, and it has a neat bidding mechanism. And in this expansion, there are new hero cards, which is nice. There's a bunch of heroes in the first game, but more is probably better. And there are mercenary cards uh, with two classes and artifact cards with unique powers. So there are new classes, which means there's new ways to actually do set collection. And reading through the description on here, in the original Nidavellir, whenever you had a tie in the bidding system, there was a tiebreaker that broke the tie, and then that was the new order in which things were taken. When you play with this expansion, that still happens. However, if there's a tie between person A and person B, and person A breaks the tie, then person A can actually, instead of taking one of the regular cards, they can go to this special camp place to hire a mercenary, but everyone else who tied, who did not win the tie, can just take the regular cards. So there's an even bigger incentive to break ties and win ties when you're playing with this expansion. It says it has an innovative coin building system, which is something that Nidavellir had, so I don't imagine that this expansion is going to change that too much, but maybe it does. And it says that there are numerous and varied strategies. I think, realistically, this just adds a bit more stuff to a game that doesn't, that would not mind having some more stuff. It's a relatively streamlined experience overall. Uh, I enjoy having it. I don't see myself getting rid of it. And in general, I'm not crazy about expansions, but this seems like the kind of expansion that's not going to add a bunch of extra rules overhead. It's just going to add more variety and one tiny uh, little new module, which I think I've already explained to you. Uh, so yeah, I, I think overall this one could be a fun one to have. All right, <laughs> moving on, we've got Railroad Inc. Challenge Lush Green Edition. Uh, now, I laughed because this is the first of eight things I'm going to try to very briefly talk about for Railroad Inc. There's a bunch of new Railroad Inc. stuff that's just been announced. Now, the original Railroad Inc. came in a blue and a red version. Each of those versions played the same, but they had different mini little expansions in them, uh, two blue in the blue version and two of the different red ones in the red one. Uh, now, if you bought both versions like I did, then that gives you access to all four of those. And now they have a lush green edition and they have a shining yellow edition, both of which have, I believe, two more 
little expansions that are bu uh, bundled in. And the reason these are called Railroad Inc. Challenge instead of the original Railroad Inc. is because there's more player interaction now. The original Railroad Inc. had zero player interaction. You could play with a thousand people at the same time if you wanted to. Uh, but now it says that Railroad Inc. Uh, Challenge is a one to four player game because there are these challenge cards that you are going to put out and it's a first come first serve thing. So you want to be the first person to do whatever that challenge says. And if you are, then you get the points and nobody else is going to get it. So there's a little bit more interaction there. Um, now, again, both of the games also come with um, extra dice, which give you new Railroad Inc. options. And I know I haven't actually talked about the base game of Railroad Inc. Uh, long story short, it's the kind of roll and write game where you roll a set number of dice, they've got railroad tracks and roads on them, and then everyone must add all of the symbols onto their personal board with a little dry erase board, and you're trying to connect everything up to get as many points as you can. Um, so having extra railroad ink stuff sounds like fun. I'm not sure if I want to have like four railroad ink boxes on my bookshelf. Um, I am quite intrigued by the challenge bit. That does sound fun. I do like a little bit more interaction in my games, even though I do think railroad ink is uh, one of my favorite um, roll and write style games. Uh, now with that in mind, the next things on the list that I'm talking about are not challenged. They're just more expansions to railroad ink. Uh, this one right here is the arcade expansion pack. It brings in the Pluckman expansion, the Tetramino expansion, the Galactic Invaders expansion, and the Rainbow expansion, um, all of which uh, bring in their own uh, new rules to, to Railroad Inc. Um, after that, there is the Eldritch expansion pack. This one brings in teleportation, investigation, tentacle expansion, and a ritual expansion. Again, lots more ways that you can mix the game up with new rules. After that, there is the Electricity expansion pack, which just brings in uh, street lamps and uh, power grid dice. Um, again, I think you could just kind of guess what these are going to do. I imagine you put street lamps next to your roads, and I imagine the power grid is going to have you needing to send power around, but it's just another way that the game can be a little bit different when you're playing with this stuff. Uh, after that, there is the Engineer expansion pack, which brings in a construction die, a renovation die, a separation die, which I think lets you, like, rip your area apart a little bit or, like, exclude different spots, and a special die, which... I don't even know what that does. <laughs> you can do restructure your networks with the, uh, this expansion. So um, this is just more stuff that you can do from an engineering perspective. Uh, moving on, there is the future expansion pack. This one gives you a super connection die, which lets you make massive connection areas. There's a city builder and an alien farmer die. Um, the alien farmer die has UFOs that are going to try to collect sheep that you've actually put around in your area. And uh, the last uh, Railroad Inc. new thing that I learned about is the Sky Expansion Pack. This one bringing in some weather dice uh, that let you, I guess, control various storm fronts that are coming in, and a uh, air routes die, which lets you actually have airplanes, I guess, and airports that you put down. So that was a lot of Railroad Inc. stuff. I was certainly surprised as I was going through uh, all of the new stuff. I kept bumping into more and more Railroad Inc. things that they've announced, and I'm not too surprised. It's a very good system for a game, and I am not a completionist, so I'm not going to be buying all of these expansions. But it's possible I might try to get one or two of them that seem to appeal to me uh, just to have a little bit more variety, even though the two boxes that I have already have too many expansions in each of them, so that's already four different ways that you can play the game, which is quite a lot. So, uh, yes, if people really want to uh, more Railroad Inc. stuff, there is a lot more Railroad Inc. things that you can actually uh, dig into. Okay, let's move on to the next game, and that one is Sagani. Uh, now, this one was designed by Uwe Rosenberg, and this is 
to a certain extent, the spiritual successor to Nova Luna, which was a pretty popular game that came out, I think, a year ago. Yeah, about a year ago. Uh, now, Nova Luna was a combination of patchwork and a game called Habitats. And Sagani isn't really a combination of games that I know of, but it, it looks a lot like Nova Luna. Um, in Sagani, as well as Nova Luna, you are uh, playing out uh, tiles in front of you, uh, square tiles, into a grid, and you're trying to uh, reach an end goal. And uh, in Sagani, well, in Nova Luna, it was all about um, pattern matching, like certain clumps of different colors next to other different clumps of colors, and it was a really neat puzzle. And Sagani is a different type of puzzle where you actually are trying to essentially place tiles in correct positions on the diagonal or on the orthogonal at certain um, lengths, or I guess any length overall, but you're just trying to position things to meet up with the various requirements on these cards in a different way. And this game actually has victory points. It's not just a pure race to try and complete as many objectives as you can. Um, now, I've really enjoyed Nova Luna, and there are some videos, or at least one video on PGG for this one that I've watched, uh, one from Before You Play, and um, that video was enough for me to be pretty hooked. Uh, this is definitely a game I'd like to get. It would not surprise me if I would end up enjoying this one more than Nova Luna, but I won't know until I actually have a chance to give this one a shot. So hopefully that can happen soon. Uh, moving on, we have Seas of Fortune. Uh, this is actually a 2020 game, so maybe it's already released. It probably is. There's not much of the year left. But it says you can become a 16th century tradesman and sail from port to port in Northern Europe. Um, now it's a two to four player game, uh, 45 minutes or so, and it seems like it's uh, well, down below it says card drafting, pick up and deliver, and trading. So this is the ki kind of game where you are sailing around, but you're not fighting anybody. Um, now, mechanically, uh, I read through the description a bit, it seems like each round you're going to be drafting a new crew card, and that crew card is going to dictate not only how far you can sail, but your turn order. The lower the number, the earlier in turn order you go, the higher the number, Obviously, you go later, but you can move farther, and you are trying to pick things up from certain cities and go to other cities and deliver those, and you're trying to, um, I think, be the first person to get to 100 coins or something like that. Um, it says 45 minutes, so not terribly long, not terribly complicated, but as time has gone on, I've enjoyed pick-up-and-deliver style games more and more, and I like the uh, draft idea of trying to um, figure out which cards are going to be best for you in this given round, and then doing the best with the cards that you have in front of you, uh, trying to just sail your way around uh, Northern Europe. So uh, this one looks pretty neat. It's probably not something I'm going to be desperately trying to play, but it's certainly the kind of game that I would uh, not mind seeing a video for to see really how it all works fleshed out and uh, possibly give a shot to if I had an opportunity. All right, let's move on to another expansion. This one is Space Base Biodome. Uh, so obviously this is an expansion to Space Base, which is an excellent game. I, I really enjoy Space Base. It's a um, Machikoro Settlers of Catan style game where uh, on your turn you roll dice and then everyone might get something based off of how your die roll went, including yourself. And I see no issue with having a little bit more stuff added into Space Base. Uh, I have the... Um, Shy Pluto expansion, which was a, a kind of a campaign expansion, which was kind of neat, uh, although I never actually got to the end of it. it. It brought in some new mechanics in each game and then brought some, took some away and some stick around. Uh, but this is honestly probably the kind of expansion I'm more interested in. It does not do a lot, but it seems like it's probably going to do enough. Uh, it adds 24 colony cards. And in the original game of Space Base, you are um, getting these ships and you put them down into your tableau to increase the amount of stuff that you can get on certain die rolls. 
but it's also a game where you're trying to essentially race out the clock to get a certain number of points. So one thing you can do in the original space base is instead of getting a ship that will be part of your engine, you could just get it and it'll plug that spot up. You no longer make stuff with that die roll number, but it gives you a bunch of points immediately. And those are called colony ships. In this expansion, they have a new set of colony ships in the original game, colony ships did nothing except give you points immediately. In this one, the colony ships, in addition to giving you points and locking out that production spot, they could give you an ongoing effect, and that sounds cool. The game also comes with 12 new ship cards and three rule cards, so it seems like the kind of uh, expansion that you could easily just integrate into a previous game, uh, previous box. Um, I, I see this as an expansion that I would love to have, honestly. Uh, I don't play Space Base all that often, but I feel like if I shuffled all this stuff in, well, there's only three extra rule cards that should be very quick and easy to get everyone up to speed on the potential new stuff that's been added in. And it's uh, such a robust mechanical system that I could easily see, you know, this new stuff being added in uh, rather easily. And certainly the idea of getting colony cards that have ongoing effects, that just sounds cool. You no longer activate whenever you hit that number eight, but you always have this one ongoing thing. And honestly, that might make the game go a little bit faster because people might jump on trying to buy those colony ships earlier because they don't worry about destroying their engine as much when they're getting these other perks, uh, which sounds like fun. So yeah, I'm hoping to get a copy of this one for sure. Uh, moving on, we have Stroganov. Uh, now, this one jumped out to me for many reasons. Uh, the first reason, the designer is Andreas Stedding, who is one of my favorite designers. Uh, he's designed um, Hansa Teutonica, which is brilliant, uh, Gugong, as well as... Oh, many others, Stafford Dynasty, and many others that are kind of fleeing out of my head right now. Uh, Frenze, that's another one. Uh, now, another reason this jumped out to me is because the publisher is Game Brewer, and they make very good-looking games uh, in general, like very high production quality. Uh, another reason is because it just looks good. Uh, now, there's no actual images of what the game board looks like or any of the components, but there is an image of the cover, and it's compelling to me. It's got this kind of watercolor, soft vibe to it. Um, it looks a little bit realistic overall, and I don't know, something about it really called out to me. Uh, now, this game, uh, mechanically, is a, well, it says under mechanisms, there's action points and area movement and map addition and things that don't really make all that much sense, but we can see that it's not a terribly heavy game. It's a 60 to 90 minute game for one to four players. And thematically, you are in Siberia and you are heading east in every one of the game's four rounds. And you are trying to essentially, you know, hunt for, get furs and, and get all that kind of stuff. Like um, you're just trying to explore. There's a lot of exploration, I think, in this game. It's hard to tell. There's no image of the board just yet, but it seems like you're trying to just venture your way out and get a bunch of stuff and then come back in the winter and then you do that four times uh, as you're trying to do all these things. Now, it does actually say this is a medium to heavy Euro game. Um, so maybe it's a heavy Euro game that plays in 60 to 90 minutes. That certainly sounds interesting to me. Um, I really want to learn a lot more about this game because, again, I am a big fan of the publisher. I'm an even bigger fan of the designer, and the art looks good from what I see so far. Um, mechanically, I don't really understand what's going on here, but uh, I hope to learn more about that soon. I've actually done some sponsored videos for Game Brewer in the past, so I'm crossing my fingers that this might be one that they want to work with me on. But either way, that is Stroganoff. I'm, I'm actively looking forward to learning more about it. Uh, next up, we have a very quick one. This is The Last of Us, the board game. Uh, now, there's essentially no uh, information on BGG for this. There's no images except for what looks like the cover of the video game. And it says, The Last of Us board game is set in the world of Naughty Dog's critically acclaimed and best-selling video game series, The Last of Us. And that's it. <laughs> now, 
I personally loved The Last of Us 1 and 2. I didn't play either of them, but I watched Let's Plays of them on YouTube um, because I'm a big scary cat and there's no way in heck I could actually play a zombie game like that. But the story was very compelling. The atmosphere was super compelling. And I do not expect this to be have a compelling atmosphere or story. It's a CMON game, so it's probably going to be lots of miniatures, lots of stuff all over the place, and it's probably not going to be the kind of game I'm actually interested in playing, but I liked the video games so much, and I like the story of the video games so much that I, I'd still like to see what this ends up being, just start to see some images, maybe see some mechanics about how the game works. This is probably not something I'm going to actually try to play, but my affinity towards the original material is enough for me to be curious. Uh, moving on, we have Tinder's Trail. Now, this is a re-implementation of Tinder's Trail, which came out, I think, like 15 years ago or so. Um, now, this is designed by Martin Wallace, and I have actually played Tinder's Trail, but it was so long ago that I did not even log it into BGG, so it must have been about 2009. Uh, now, <laughs> I don't really remember too much how it worked because it was like 11 years ago, but I do remember that it did have a time track, and you did things when you were farthest back on the track, I believe, and the things that you did could take certain amounts of time. So you had to be really careful about how much time you spent to do certain actions because you might find yourself not taking a turn for a while. Uh, there are infrequent auctions in the game and you are essentially building out and uh, doing some logistics for a bunch of tin mines in uh, Cornwall. Yeah, Cornwall. Um, now, there are no images of what the new version is going to look like, but there's a, a nice uh, image of the cover. The old version was not a very pretty looking game. Although over the years, whenever I saw it for relatively cheap, I considered picking it up because I had fond memories of playing it that one time, but I wasn't sure if they were fond enough to actually get a copy. So I'm kind of happy to see that Alley Cat's putting out an updated version. Uh, it says down here that uh, this edition differs from the original 2008 version in several ways. The player count, for example, is now one to five players instead of the original three to four. And the resources on the board are now set up via tiles instead of die rolls to maintain variability with reduction in randomness. Dual use cards are now an important part of the game, giving you information before an auction or an extra boost after the auction. The game includes two expansions, which are the Arsenic expansion, including a new resource and an immigration expansion, seeing minerals travel overseas. Now, again, I don't remember how the game works well enough to know how that dual use cards thing comes in or how the using variable cards for seeding the board instead of dice will affect things. But, you know, having 12 years to refine um, what was already a good game uh, makes me confident and hopeful that this is going to be even better. So I'm looking forward to having a shot to play this one in the future. Uh, next up, we have Transatlantic 2. <laughs> now, this one, uh, I was so excited when I saw this. I was not expecting this at all. I've not heard anybody talk about this at all. And this is uh, designed by Matt Gertz. And obviously, it is a re-implementation of Transatlantic. Now, Transatlantic was kind of a spiritual successor sibling, something like that, to Concordia, which was also designed by Matt Gertz. And Concordia is one of my favorite games. So when... <sighs> I think it was like three years ago, two or three years ago when uh, Transatlantic came out, I was quite excited about it. Um, I went out and picked up a copy as soon as I could, and I was relatively disappointed with it. Uh, now, I did do a full playthrough of Transatlantic, so if you're curious about that one, then feel free to Google Junkets Games Transatlantic and you should be able to find it. It has the Concordia card play mechanism, which I'm not going to go into detail here, but it did not have a map, and it was... I can't remember all the specifics of why I was disappointed. I just remember felt feeling like I would just rather play Concordia, even though there was some things in Transatlantic that I liked. And again, I don't remember what those things were either, but I remember 
It seemed compelling-ish, but not quite enough for me to stick to it. So now here comes Transatlantic 2 in 2021, and it's it's changing a lot of things. It says it's a real implementation, um, and it, not only does it now have a game board, but the rules have been streamlined and changed in many ways. So ships are going to sail to individual ports when they enter regions. In the original game, your ships were just cards on a chart in front of you, but now there's an actual map. Uh, it also says that um, each port is going to have different trade houses, Trade houses have roles to give you points. All ships remain on your side and score at the end of the game with no scrapping. I don't remember the specifics of scrapping, but I do remember it being pretty important and impactful. And it says contracts are going to allow you to get purchase bonuses, which will score you different ways and get different goals. Again, it's actually been so long since I played Transatlantic. Maybe I should have watched that video of me teaching the game again. It's been so long that I don't remember the specifics, but I'm really happy to see that they are coming back to this one. I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to try this. It's got a big map. It's not done just yet, but I feel like there was a good game for me in there somewhere, and hopefully uh, Transatlantic 2 will be that good game. So currently I am quite optimistic. I'm quite hopeful that this is going to be the Transatlantic that I am significantly more interested in. Uh, hopefully that actually turns out. Uh, all right, let's move on to Trismegistus, the Roll and Write. Uh, now, this one is a 30-minute uh, Roll and Write print-and-play version of Trismegistus, which was a heavy, like, two- to three-hour dice-drafting Euro game. Uh, now, I don't actually know the specifics of how this Roll and Write version works, but it's obviously quicker. It does say that it's a print-and-play, so you don't need to have the original game, but it does say that that requires the use of the dice that do come with the original game. However, there are um, sticker sheets that can be provided that you can stick onto regular dice to actually um, make your own modified dice to play with this. Um, now, there are no images of what it looks like at this point on Board Game Geek, so I can't really say anything more than that, but for now, I think it's cool. I don't think this is something I'll actually go out and grab, but it's something that Board and Dice seem to be doing more. I know they did one of these for Tekenu as well, and I think it's just a neat way to continue to use a game that you already have, especially in a new light where it's probably got similar mechanics and similar vibes, but it's significantly shorter, and uh, yeah, it's just cool that they're doing that. All right, let's move on to the final game I'll be talking about today, and that one is Zapotech. Uh, now, this one is also being published by Board and Dice. This is a full board game, and the designer is Fabio Lopiano, who designed various other games like Merv, um, as well as Kalimala and Ragusa. Those are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, now, this is actually a game that I've played. It was many months ago. So technically I heard about this game first, like I guess seven or eight months ago, but it only just recently got put up onto BGG. I got to be part of a play test for it, which I was pretty excited to do. Now, this is a Euro game. It's one to four players, 60 to 75 minutes. And right now, they don't have any images of what the game looks like to play online. But I can tell you that much like a lot of other Fabio Lopiano's games, this is a Euro game where you don't actually take that many turns. In fact, in this game, I believe you only go through five rounds, and in each round, you effectively do one main action, but the other things, there are lots of other things you can do that kind of branch off of that. Um, so this is the kind of game where you are uh, making some decisions, and then the decisions that you make will have lots of ramifications. You're choosing a card, and the card will tell you where you can build, when you're going to build, and what resources from a grid of resource production that you're going to actually generate, and then you can actually increase the amount of resources you generate on that grid as you play through the game. And there's a whole bunch of combo-y things that all kind of work themselves together. It's like a, a complicated spider web of mechanics that all kind of uh, uh, pull itself together. I remember enjoying that playtest. It was like 
seven or eight months ago, though, so it wouldn't surprise me if uh, things have changed subtly. It did seem like it was largely done at that point. Uh, and at that point, um, he didn't mention who the publisher was, but I found out later it was Borden Dice, which makes me happy because I have an amazing relationship with Borden Dice. I cover, I think, essentially every game that they put out. Uh, so that means it's essentially 100% that I will be doing a sponsored tutorial of Zapotec and I'll uh, get to see how it actually ended up uh, once it finished with its development. Um, it was uh, cool being able to see it halfway there and I gave a bunch of input all of which I've completely forgotten now, but I remember having a lot of uh, things to say, but I also remember enjoying it overall. And uh, yeah, it'll be cool to see what the final product looks like. So uh, that is the end of this uh, Games Radar vlog. That was 31 uh, things that really stood out to me. Um, again, there was like 3,000 new entries that got put up over the last few months. I keep saying that I want to make these Games Radar vlogs every month instead of waiting two to three months like this. Uh, we'll see how well I do in the future. Unfortunately, it seems like this vlog is easy for me to procrastinate on and just kind of push down and push down until suddenly it's been far too long. And I spent like over two hours going through all of that stuff, uh, figuring out what new games I wanted to talk about. And then I spent another hour and a half deep diving on each one of these pages, trying to learn more about it before I actually turned on the camera. So there's quite a bit of preparation that goes into these vlogs, and I, I do hope that you enjoy it. And yeah, I think that is going to bring this podcast to a close. Thanks for listening.